Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. I believe that God has made me and all creatures. Some Christians consider the creation of the world by God to, to be a mere fairy tale, a myth, uh, something that really isn't that big of a deal, uh, but it's supposedly there to, to keep us in line. If God created us, then he has the power to destroy us, and fear becomes the motivating factor for our life. But really, it's the exact opposite. I believe that God has made me. Me. Not simply that God is the maker of heaven and earth, though He is, but God has made me. And that means something for me. That God created me means that He is my Father with whom I have a real relationship with. He is my Father who loves me and wants the best things for me. God has given me my body and soul. Uh, this is what it means to be human, to have a body and soul with eyes and ears and, and members, reason and all our senses. We confess that he richly and daily provides me with food and clothing, home and family, property and goods, and all that I need to support this body and life. And this means that everything we have, our homes all the way down to the, to the shingles on our roofs and the nails and glue holding them in place, everything we have is a gift from God. But if only we could believe this, that he richly and daily provides me with all that I need. If we could only believe this, how much less worry and anxiety would there be? But of course, we do worry because we live in a fallen world, suffering the effects of the first sin of the first Adam who doubted whether or not God would provide what was best for him. And so we need to be taught like Jesus does when he tells us to look at other things God has created. Look at the birds and how God provides for them. They don't need to store in the barns. Look at the lilies and how God clothes them. Not even Solomon was arrayed like one of them. And we also confess that God protects me from all danger and guards and keeps me from all evil. If we had a hard time believing that God provides me with what I need, then we have a harder time believing that God keeps me from evil. Because evil things do seem to happen to Christians, don't they? Hunger, pandemic, worldly injustice, death. And yet still, we maintain that not only does God still preserve me, but that he keeps me from all evil. After Adam and Eve fell into sin, God could have abandoned his fallen creation. He could have wiped everything out and started over. After all, there was just Adam and Eve, just two people. Surely it would have made the lives of countless others easier if God just wiped them out and started over. But even for just two people, he didn't. Not only because they were his own creation, 
but because God's nature is love. And love is never self-serving, but always in relation to others, always giving. God is bound to serve his creation. Everything God does is for our benefit. But from our perspective, it doesn't always seem like it. In fact, for Adam and Eve, right away, God sends them out of the Garden of Eden. For them, it must have seemed like the worst thing that could possibly happen. But it actually was God's way of making sure they wouldn't live forever in their sin, forever with eternal death. And then, God actually kills an animal. The first sacrifice, the first death Adam and Eve experienced was this animal. We're at least somewhat numb to death now. We know that it happens, even though it's still always a shock and painful when it does. There's nothing pleasant about death. But imagine being Adam and Eve and and seeing death for the first time after living in, in a perfect paradise where there was no death, only life. Imagine what that, what that death, how evil that death must have looked. And yet, what God was doing through the death of this animal was using it not only to make clothing for them and provide for them, but also to give them a preview of his greatest act of providence. God promised to send his own son to die the death for every sinner and every sin. The death of Jesus, of God's Son, of God himself, is absolutely the worst evil that has ever happened on earth. And yet through this, God worked the most marvelous good. When the set time had fully come, God sent his Son to be born of a woman, so that he would be born under the law in order to redeem those under the law, so that we would be adopted as sons. Through the death of Jesus, we now have a deeper relationship with the Father. We're not only his children because he made us, rather we are his children because through faith he adopted us. It's a choice, not on our part, but God's. He actively sought us out in our sin and our fallen condition, baptized us, created faith in our hearts, which is no less of a feat than creating the universe, and continues to preserve us, all for the sake of the suffering and death of his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And this is at the heart of why Jesus can say to us, don't worry. Because it's in the most unexpected of places, in times when we are the most prone to worry and unbelief. It's in the cross where true life and rest is found. We heard in our Passion History lesson, Jesus reassured his disciples on Monday, Thursday. He said, Dear children, I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And then he tells them to love one another. Jesus' death would free them from worrying about their greatest fears, their greatest problems, sin, death, and the devil. And so freed from worrying about themselves, they could worry about serving and loving each other. Motivated not by fear, but by love. But instead, they continue worrying about petty little things. Peter is more worried about what people think of him. He doesn't understand God's providence in the cross. 
Jesus reminds them that when he sent them out without money bag, without traveler's bag, without sandals, they didn't lack a thing. But he tells them that they will all fall away again from him because they are worried about their earthly lives and don't understand God's providence in the cross. They sing a hymn together, likely from the Psalms, which is the prayer book of the Bible. Jesus is leading them to use hymns just as we do today to combat worry and to comfort one another with the words of God. After they sing a hymn, they, they go to a garden to pray. Prayer is the antidote to worry. God knows what you need before you ask, but he still tells you to pray and he promises to hear from you because you are his own child. And yet, heavy with cares and worry, the disciples fall asleep because they don't understand God's providence in the cross. But then Jesus himself, overwhelmed with sorrow, does what the disciples don't. He prays. And he prays for what we have a hard time believing, that God does and will provide. For God's will to be done because the will of God is always best. When the soldiers come to arrest him, Jesus says, The hour is near. The time had fully come. This really was God's plan all along, the death of his son. God's love is shown ultimately in the cross. When we don't do anything, when we can't do anything, that's when we begin to trust in God's providence. Otherwise, we'll be like Peter, who, not believing that God would provide, decides to take matters into his own hands and believe he has to provide for God, and he chops off a servant's ear. But then Jesus shows the same creative power he had at the beginning and restores the man's ear. Through the cross, Jesus restores us. We read in Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? God never forces us to believe this. Rather, he loves it into you. Jesus went willingly to the cross for you. For everything you and I have a hard time believing and trusting, Jesus did and continues to do. It is in Christ that we truly have all things. Everything God gives to us, even in times, even times of suffering and hardship, is purely out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy. Because of the suffering of Jesus, we know that our suffering has a purpose. Because of the death of Jesus, we know that our death means that we, are, we'll be, we will be delivered from death. Death is overcome in death. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that our suffering has an end. Even if we have a hard time not worrying, still we confess that out of love, God works all things for our good. Luther once said that it pains the devil when a Christian eats a crust of bread and enjoys it. When, when, when a Christian can, can look beyond the surface and see that even this hard, dry, tasteless piece of bread is sustaining him and is good. 
And like we heard on Sunday with the woman of Canaan, we are constantly given crumbs. And yet, knowing that these crumbs are from God, we trust that they are what is best for us. They are what we need. And so, for all that the Father has given us, for all that the Father has given me, I am in duty bound to thank and praise and serve and obey Him. This is most certainly true. In Jesus' name, amen.